How can we go from being passive consumers to being active disciples? How do we as a people become active in our faith rather than passively consuming as the local church? How do we become these people that God has created us to be? How do we become passionate in our faith? How do we become passionate people? Jesus is on trial in this passage. And I wanna tell you that Jesus is on trial today in our culture. And how we respond to how Jesus was treated and the outcome of that, how we respond to that dictates how, what the verdict is about Jesus in some senses today. In our culture, around us, in, with the people uh, that, are, that are in our midst, with our family, with our coworkers, with uh, the general public, our friends on Facebook or social media, how we respond in large part, dictates how Jesus will be received on some level. How do we go from being passive consumers to active disciples? And, and in so doing, how do we proclaim this Jesus whom we say that we serve? This uh, story is a story of injustice. Luke wants you to see, the writer of this gospel, this story about Jesus, Luke wants you to see the injustice that Jesus went through. And I just wanna tell you that there's massive injustice today within our, our world in regards to Jesus and his church. It says in verse 13 that Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. Here are these characters that we have. We have the political leader who is Pilate and he has called together the religious leaders. He's called together the social leaders as well. He's talking about the rulers. Not exactly sure what that means but they have something to do with uh, Jewish culture in that day. So there's political, religious, social, and then there's the mob. There's this mob of people. Who knows how many were there, but it, it seems like there were a thousand or more, something like that. And it's this massive mob, and it is turning into a riot. And Pilate has one job. He has one job, and that is to not have riots in the city. That's Pilate's job, to not upset the locals. He has been sent there as the, the governor, and he is over these people, and he is supposed to keep the peace. That's his job. And if he doesn't do that, he's in trouble, which he has had trouble with in the past, and in the future, he will have more trouble and ultimately be deposed because he does not keep the peace and is an unrighteous ruler during that time. Verse 14 says, and he said to them, you brought me this man 
as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. So they, they brought Jesus to him. He's like, I don't find anything wrong with him. Let's send him to Herod, see what he thinks. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. So he's talking about these charges. You brought these charges against this guy, Jesus. And what were those charges? If you look back at verse two from chapter 23, it says, and they began to accuse him, that's the religious leader saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So they're, they're coming and they're bringing these charges against him. They are false charges. And, they, and they, are, they are saying, he said these things and he is trying to align himself against Rome, against Caesar, and he's telling people to not keep the peace and that they should riot in the streets and that they should do this. This guy, is going, he's gonna cost you your job. That's what they're saying. Remember what I said. Pilate has one job and that is to keep the peace. Pilate has one job to uh, quell anything like this, any uprising, any insurrection. And so those are the charges. And it says, but they all cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas, which is kind of crazy. Who's Barabbas? He's a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for a murder. So he could have been uh, part of one of these, uh, he, he might have been a zealot, who was somebody who was very zealous for Israel to be back in power and they were working uh, at times kind of subversively to try to take out Rome. So he could have been that. We don't know exactly what sect he would have been a part of, but this guy Barabbas is, is in some ways in their day kind of a terrorist. <clears throat> Maybe kind of a good terrorist, Robin Hood figure type guy, but uh, terrorist nonetheless. So they, they're saying, we want you to release to us a criminal. We would rather have a criminal on the loose than the man who might be king. We, we would rather have this guy who is gonna make our lives a living hell than this guy, Jesus, and why is that? We'd rather have this criminal released. Now, it, this, is, <clears throat> this is profound. It's profound because it speaks to human character. It speaks to the heart of humanity. That we so many times reject any kind of challenge to our own personal sovereignty. That we're willing to go to great lengths to protect that. Now what do I mean by that? If Jesus is king, if he is truly king, if he is truly God, I have two choices. You've probably heard this throughout the Luke series at different times. Either crown him or kill him. Either respond like Peter and fall down at his feet and say, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man and I do not deserve anything. Like that, that was his response. Think about the woman who washes his, his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Think about the people that that, that come and just fall down before him and just say, please heal me. Think about the, the immediacy of the sense of like, oh my gosh, 
This guy's God, and if he's God, then I have to worship him, and all of my claims, every bit of my claims on my own personal sovereignty, on, on my own ability to control and dictate the affairs of my life are off the table, and now I must give myself up to him. That is why you would release a murderer and an insurrectionist who will make your life a living hell as somebody who's just trying to get along with the Romans, just trying to you know, live in a culture that's not yours, as you're just trying to get along, and this guy's stirring up trouble. That is why you would do that, because you and I want so badly to be in control of our lives that we will do anything to keep it. We will do anything, including release Barabbas to us. Tim Keller says the human heart is threatened by anything that takes its self-sovereignty. Your and my heart is threatened by this King Jesus who must rule and reign. If he is to be your God, he must rule and reign over the affairs of your life. Pilate addressed them once more in verse 20, desiring to release Jesus. This guy over and over again, he's like me as a parent when my kids come to me over and over again. Can we please watch a show? Can we please watch a show? And they just, they just keep coming to us and they keep coming to us. Why? Because they know if they do that enough times, either we're gonna forget or just give in. It's great parenting strategy, by the way. Uh, but they, they keep coming to him and keep coming to him. And he's like, listen, I want, I, I want to release him. And they say, they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Over and over again, There's, they're, they're just getting louder, getting louder. I mean, can you think of any recent events where the public has aligned and shouted something on both sides, left and right, by the way? You got downtown Portland, you got DC, you got name any large city in America. I mean, this is what people do, right? It's the mob in so many ways. And this mob is yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You know, we might have a little bit of that today. See, in their day, it was crucify culture. In our day, it's cancel culture. It's cancel culture. See, in their day, you do something that nobody likes and they're gonna crucify you because they're gonna keep the peace no matter what. You do something against the state, they're gonna crucify you. You do something that everybody doesn't like and everybody's getting angry, angry they're gonna crucify you. We say today, there's a, you know, a phrase that we use sometimes, he was crucified in the press. It's similar in this sense, that there is this cancel culture that says the mob will rise up and the mob will scream and the mob will yell and we will get our way if we say it loud enough and long enough, and we stand out here and we do enough, we will get our way eventually. See, there's some similarities here between that culture and our culture because people are generally the same. Like, they're different cultures, yeah. But people are generally the same. We reject the idea that this 
guy, Jesus, would be our king. So much so that we're willing to release a criminal and follow something that is crazy. And we're also willing to, to see someone who doesn't deserve it die. And Pilate knows it. Pilate repeatedly says, he, why? A third time he said in verse 22, why? What evil has he done? I haven't found anything in him, no guilt deserving death. I'm gonna punish him and then I'm gonna release him. Now, Pilate's not being a nice guy. He's like, I'm gonna whip the guy. Now, whipping, whipping was, was not like a, you know, a slap on the wrist. It wasn't a day in jail. It was, it was brutal. So Pilate's not a good guy here. He just is trying to quell the crowd. I'm gonna punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. You, when, you, when I read this passage uh, a couple of weeks or several weeks ago, um, preparing for this sermon, this was the thing that stood, stuck out to me so much, which was they all cried out together. They kept shouting. They were urgent and their voices prevailed. Verse 24, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And Jesus is on trial today. Jesus is on trial today in our culture in many different ways, both from a secular standpoint, he's not really God, you know, what, what have you, whatever they would say, but also from a religious perspective, a religious perspective. Jesus was on trial and unjustly convicted, and I think there's some of that that's going on today as well. Let me dig into something that um, might be offensive to you. <laughs> it's really what I love to do, but uh, I'll apologize anyway just to make you feel better. So, I was in the lumber yard the other day, and I saw a guy that I've only met one other time, but I knew he was a Christian. And um, so I'm standing there in front of the cashier, and here's this guy, and we're talking. The cashier's here, and this guy's here. Me and him are Christians, and that guy, I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. And so I said, I hear you're going to such and such church, or are you still going to that church? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, he disagreed with my personal political views. He said some things that I disagreed with, and so therefore, uh, I left. And he went on and on. That's why I went, went to this church out of our city, and I, and I, I just, you know, I, I just disagree with that, I can't believe that, he's saying this, he's saying that, he's saying the other thing, and I'm sitting there looking like I'm watching a ping pong match, going, I'm looking at him, and then I'm going, looking at him, looking at the cashier, looking at him, looking at the cashier, just going, this guy's not a believer, and he's hearing you trash the church, and then he had the audacity to say, yeah, me and him are still friends. We still hang out. Oh, it would have been better if he said, I hate him. 
because now you look like a hypocrite. You look like such a punk because you trashed this guy in public with a non-believer listening to what you're saying, not taking into consideration anything that might be going on in the life of our world and in the life of a pastor who's sitting here going, I don't know what to say. Like, I got these people are saying this, I got those people are saying that, I, I just don't know. Like zero compassion, just you disagreed with my beliefs, you disagreed with my idea of self-sovereignty, of being in control of my circumstances, of my life, and so therefore, you're canceled. Cancel culture, crucify culture. Second instance. I don't know where I saw this. I think it was on Facebook. It was on Facebook. I saw this thing from the Daily Wire, which is a right-leaning news organization, right? And I don't normally read the Daily Wire at all. I don't know why this came up on my page. But it comes up and it says, uh, why Ed Stetzer, which I'll, I'll tell you who he is in a second, and other religious and other evangelical pastors have basically turned to the dark side. I couldn't find the article again, otherwise I'd tell you exactly what it said. But basically, why they're in agreement with Obama's former healthcare person, right? So then, I'm like, man, this is kind of crazy. Like, Ed Stetzer's been a big influence in my life. In fact, when I planted the church, I found his book, and I'm sitting there reading his book about planting missional churches, and I had all these problems in the church because uh, I wasn't a very good leader, and, uh, and people are jerks sometimes, <laughs> and so I was reading his book, and I'm going, babe, you, you would not believe this. Remember that situation that happened a few weeks ago? Remember that? You remember this? Remember that? Like, he's talking about it right here. Like, this crap happens all the time. Like, so helpful. Like, Ed Stetzer is a guy who's planted multiple churches. I don't even know how many churches he's planted, but the guy's a prolific church planter. Like he starts a church, gets somebody in, involved, and then he goes and does something else. He's been a part of the Billy Graham Center for something, Wheaton College, Christianity Today. He's one of the most uh, profound thinkers in evangelicalism today. And I read the article and it says, Ed Stetzer, was on a podcast and he was agreeing with Obama's whatever secretary, former secretary, whatever, about vaccines. Because Ed Stetzer believes that you should get a vaccine. So then I'm like, I wonder what the comments are like. Well, it's so-called Christian person after Christian person after Christian person defaming this guy. Yeah, my pastor did that and I'm, I was out. Yeah, bunch of these guys trying to pull this CRT stuff. Yeah, they're doing this and they're doing that. And I'll never have anything to do with this. Cancel him, cancel him, cancel him, cancel him. Ed Stetzer has more gospel, Holy Spirit filling in his pinky fingernail than most of us have in our entire lives. I read that the other day and it struck me. And it didn't just strike me because I'm a pastor and people are criticizing pastors. 
I got pretty thick skin. You could say a lot of stuff to me and I probably won't read the email. I'll, I'll send it to the elders and they'll read it and they'll tell me, Matt, you did do that or Matt, you didn't do that. They'll decide whether I'm a jerk or not. And I have been a jerk in the past, so that's, it's, it's happened. So enough of that preface. Um, what I realized in this moment is that we have a problem in evangelicalism. We have a massive problem. We have so many people in the local church, so many people in Christianity today who are losing their minds. I'm sitting there just going, there is, I, it, I mean, I think I knew that this was there, but then all of a sudden I, I, I realized, holy cow, there is a massive rift in, in evangelical, in the church today, the gospel-believing church today. Excuse me. What are we going to do, and why is this happening? Like, what is taking place? What is happening here that a guy can stand in a lumber yard and he can sit there and he can say the kinds of things that he does in front of somebody else who he has no idea whether they're a believer or really even say them at all, even if there are believers there. What is possessing people to sit there and eviscerate somebody who's a servant of God just because he has an opinion on vaccines? Like, what, that doesn't even make sense. I have your opinion on vaccines. Great. You don't want to get one? Fine. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I think Ed Stetzer cares about it more than I do. But that's his opinion. Why, why has that become such an issue? The verse that stuck out to me the most in this passage, I highlighted it four weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, is verse 25. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And I just kept reading those words. He delivered Jesus over to their will. How has Jesus been delivered over to our will? If we can stand in the public square, either on social media or somewhere else, and I'm not saying that any of you do this, but I think it's happening in the church today. How has Jesus been delivered over to our will? How are we sitting there saying, crucify him, crucify him, cancel him, cancel him? How is that happening? Let me tell you why I think this, this takes place. And it's because there's confusion about what the church is for. What is church for? What is, what is it about and is it here for my consuming? Am I here to consume at the local church? Am, like, am, am I just here to just consume what's happening? Is the church here, and I should attach Jesus to that, because the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is the church for, is Jesus for affirming my personal political views, however nuanced they are? 
is, is the church for making me feel good about myself and never telling me that I was wrong? Is the church here to agree with all of my personal choices in my marriage and in my parenting and in the way that I use my finances? Is, is that what the church is for? Well, many people, whether they know it or not, do believe those things. I, the church is here for me to consume. The church is here to agree with my personal political views. The church is here to validate all of the things that I'm doing in my life. Otherwise, they would not be saying, I'm out of my local church when they do something that I don't like. Otherwise, they would not leave when they've been challenged on the way that they live their lives. Otherwise, they would not be standing in the middle of a lumberyard trash talking their so-called friend and pastor or doing that on Facebook. There's confusion about what church is for. How do we get here? I think I'm not a great historian or... Um, social understanding guy. But you know who is? Mark Sayers. He's fantastic. He's got a podcast. It's called Rebuilders. You should listen to it. But in his latest podcast, I think he explains some things that are so stinking helpful. Because I think a lot of us, especially those of us who have been in ministry as church pastors and stuff, are kind of sitting here going, I don't understand what's happening today. Like in 2007 when we started the church, I could understand what was happening. Lots of young people were leaving the church because you had these bozos who called themselves Christians that were running around writing books saying hell's not a real place, God's just a God of love, uh, you can love whoever you want, uh, do whatever you want, say whatever you want, uh, get, all that matters is that God loves you and that's it, everyone's going to heaven. That's universalism, that's not the gospel, that, right? And that's what I stood up and said and it was very easy. Stop believing those lies, believe the truth about Jesus Christ, it was easy. Today, not so easy. What's going on? Why is everybody leaving their church? By the way, our church isn't shrinking, our church is growing, so we don't necessarily have that problem. So I, I, I don't know, yeah, like we don't really have an issue, but I wanna make sure. Our church is growing. What happened? There was a church growth movement in the 80s, maybe late 70s as well, where churches kinda gathered around this idea that like people uh, wanna have their felt needs met there's an aspect of entertainment, and if they come and, they, and, and we tell them, like, you believe these five things about Jesus, then you're in, and it's done, it's over. Like, you're, you're a part of the thing. And so what, what happened was this, is that churches grew massively, like massive churches, 20,000 people, 30,000 people, like huge churches, the masses are a part of these things. And people are in, and they're, and they're a part of it, and they're just kind of coming and consuming. And it was this idea of, hey, come and watch us do the ministry. Come and watch what's happening here. Come and see a great show. Come and hear a message that's gonna help you in your marriage. It's gonna give you seven steps for financial success. It's gonna give you three steps to not being an idiot. It's gonna give you uh, two steps. What just happened? Did something fall? Are we okay? All right, okay. 
thought I just heard something. Okay. All right. G- going to give you all these steps for life, but it's void of life transformation. And what it did was it grew a culture of non-discipleship. It grew a culture of people who were, in essence, coming to church and saying, hey, fix my life so that it runs better, so that I can be more successful. If you could teach something that would help me get through this argument with my spouse, if you, if you could help me with this thing, then everything would be better. So what we did was we said, yeah, come to church. Jesus will make things better. Come to church. Jesus will make things better. Jesus had a similar problem in his ministry. He says in, in fact, John says in John chapter 2, Verse 23, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is looking out and he's going, he's feeding people, he's helping people, and what he knows is this, you're just here for the next free meal. You're just here because I, you, you want your life to feel better. You're just here because you, you want to you wanna feel better about yourself. And if I make you feel good, then that would be great. And Jesus says, I, you may be here, but I am not entrusting myself to you. And sometimes I wonder whether we don't have that in the church today. Where people have come for a lot of different reasons. I came for good morals for my kids. I came so that I could find a spouse, friends, a community, business relationships. I came because I just feel like that's what moral people do, whatever it is. But listen, that is not adhering to, giving your life over to Jesus. It is simply this. I just like hanging out with these people. I'm minimally involved. I'm minimally engaged. I'm consuming And I'm passive at that. And what it creates is a culture of non-discipleship. It creates a culture of habitual Christians that just come to church and they don't know why. They don't exactly know why. And so then a pandemic comes along And it stops church for a while. That pandemic comes, it sweeps through, and we have to close the doors for a little bit. And now all of a sudden, everyone who is minimally engaged with Jesus has a really good reason to be disengaged from the church. They have every reason to be able to say, you know what? I'm just, I'm just worried about the pandemic. I mean, there are people that should be worried about the pandemic. That's what's so catchy about it. And when you say these things, it's controversial. Because people are like, well, no, I was, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm immunocompromised or I have somebody in my house. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But not everybody's like that. So people left the church. Just left. Didn't, didn't come back. Why? Because they were never disciples in the first place. And then you have the people who are not so much passive aggressive and just kind of leaving or even just kind of staying and just kind of like being unmoved being unmoved, they're just passive aggressive, just like, yeah, I come occasionally, you know, I just, I get a little bit of Jesus and then I go about my life and I, I hope that whatever the pastor says helps me today. I hope I feel impacted by it rather than just like being here to serve 
because Jesus has served you rather than being here to, uh, to absorb the word of God. It's just like, I'm just here to passively consume. So you passively consume at home, maybe you watch live stream, you passively consume here. So you got passive aggressive folks, but then you got the aggressive aggressive folks. They're like, I am a Christian and I am a part of this. And they've commingled their political views, their views on whatever it is, race, the vaccine, whatever, they've commingled those things and those people are aggressive aggressive. And they've said, you know what? If you don't do what I say, then I'm gone. And they're both related to the same problem, that the church became a place of habitual Christianity that creates people, uh, creates a group of people who are non-disciples. They've never been discipled. And what do I mean by that? There's zero thought given to obedience, walking with Jesus, growing in Jesus. So there's a lot of that. I think there's another crew as well who do wanna be disciples. And I think that crew really is desiring that and is growing for that. And I praise God for those people in our church that are serving, that are growing, that are engaging, that are worshiping. Many of them are all too aware of their shortcomings. And Jesus, Jesus has grace, Jesus has mercy, Jesus has love for each and every one of us. We wanna go from being passive consumers to active disciples. We wanna go from being a group of people that are disengaged in the life of the local church and just attending to people who are actively involved in being discipled. We wanna be a, a place that's on fire and when people come in here or enter our homes or meet us in the lumber yard or see us on Facebook, go, okay, I want that Jesus. Okay, I know, when, I know everyone else is saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, but I, I kinda want what they have. Jesus is on trial today. What's your response gonna be? How can we change the trajectory of the local church today? Let me give you a few things here real quick. The first thing is this, is that once you have received Jesus Christ as Savior, you, you have believed that he is the Son of God, that he went to the cross for your sake, that he died for you, that he paid the penalty that you deserved, that you would then engage with his body, the body of Christ, that you would specifically engage and be there and be a part of it and not do any of this kind of half rear-ended stuff that many of us are doing, but that we would engage. Now, listen, this is not a sermon to beat the pulpit and say, you're not doing enough. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. It's just engage. Engage in the grace of Jesus, in experiencing the grace of Jesus. Not this, you're not giving, serving, go, growing, all of that stuff. No, it's engage with Jesus and submit yourself to God in and through the local church. 
It's like when you come to this church, when you come to our church, we have this track that we wanna see you on. And that track is, man, when you first come, we wanna see you engage at basic. Basic is a short conversation about what the church is about. And that is basically to say, here are the ways that you can engage. Here's a little bit about our church. We wanna get you involved, like jump in so that you can get to know people. Do you know we have people that are wandering the parking lot and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're our safety team and they're checking on cars. They're making sure that your car doesn't get broken into right now. If it does, I'm really sorry. We're not liable for that, but, but most, <laughs> most of the time we do a pretty good job. But you know what they're doing out there? They're discipling. Because sometimes there's a guy who comes and says, yeah, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I'll, I'll come and hang out with you guys. And he thinks he's coming to watch, look out for criminals. And we think, you know what we just made? We just made a point of contact in which to build a relationship. It's not a bait and switch. We have to do safety. But everything is about discipleship. So what are our guys doing as they're walking out there? They go, here's a new guy. He decided to sign up for this. He engaged. Let's start talking about his life in Christ. Let's start talking about, does, does he have faith? Where, where is he at in his marriage? What's happening in his life? That's what's happening on the safety team. You know what's happening on the worship team? Yeah. You know what's happening on this team? You know what's happening on that team? You know what's happening in a community group? Discipleship. Basic is the place where you, you enter in and you say, okay, all right, there, here's all the options, here's how I wanna engage. And you might jump into a community group or you might jump into, uh, into a service team or something like that, but you go from basic. And then the second thing is this, is that you would enter into essentials. Essentials is basically teaching you the essentials of the faith because many of us came from churches that just said, believe these five things and just come and watch the show and everything will be great. But Essentials teaches you that there's more to the faith. Here's what we believe at Outward Church. Here's what you should believe. And here's how you can express the life of Christ. That's the Essentials. It happens at 915. During the 915 service, it's going on right now. But then you go from Essentials and you say, okay, I really want to engage. I want to learn how to lead a community group. I want to I wanna be able to even talk about my faith. I don't know why I believe what I believe. Do I believe what I believe? Do, what am I even saying? Do I have any idea how to study? Am I even a disciple of Jesus? Well, you enter into equip, which is taking applications today. <laughs> and you could join, and equip is a class that happens every single week. And we have community groups that have gotten to a point where it's just like, we've gotten to know each other, I, I've, I've heard too many prayer requests about somebody's cat dying, and I hate cats, and so like, we need to get done with that type of thing, and we, and we just need to move on from this. And so community groups have a lifespan, but then that lifespan needs to turn into, okay, how are we gonna grow in Christ? And so some of our community groups are turning into equip classes, and so you could join equip either through a community group, or you could join it through just the equip class that's happening here. This is the way. Join the church, submit yourself to God in and through the local church. Commit to being a disciple of Jesus Christ in and through the church. Be willing to hear hard things. You can't be a disciple if no one can come up to you and say, 
Dude, your marriage is, in a, is a wreck. You mistreat your wife. And you're kind of a punk. We'll say it nicer than that, I promise. I won't, but someone else will. So, you have to be willing to hear hard things. Like, man, this isn't the way to go. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Then another thing, you gotta be willing to not be aligned with the masses. The masses are standing in front of Pilate along with the religious leaders saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Cancel him, cancel him, cancel him. The masses are saying that. Only a short time before this, Jesus had fed 5,000 men, upwards of 15,000 people. There's many, many people who had been followers of Jesus. After Jesus' death, they, all the believers end up in one room. It says in Acts 1.15, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was, was in all about 120. 120 people. Be careful what you align yourself with. Just because all of the supposed or so-called Christians are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You better watch out. Because being a Christian is lonely. Except on Sunday morning, or Sunday afternoon, or in the mid middle of the week, Christianity is lonely. Being an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ is not fun sometimes. It is lonely. Because you got people that call themselves Christians out here, out wherever that is, on social media, who are gonna criticize you, criticize your viewpoints, criticize what you say. But when you're obedient to Jesus Christ, one of the things that you are going to learn and that you, you're going to hear is this. It is infinitely better to be aligned with the true king than to persist and try to be your own king. It is infinitely better. The invitation from Jesus is to come and be led to the slaughter in this life because your hope is in the next. That's what the invitation is. Jesus is on trial. What will people say about him through your influence? Will you be a disciple? Or, or will you continue to be passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive and be aligned with the crowd? The beauty of this passage is that Barabbas, who totally deserved to die, totally is released and Jesus is put to death. That is the exchange that he's done for you. You want to align yourself with someone? Align yourself with Barabbas. He released the man 
who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. He releases those through his death that have been insurrectionists against God. That I might as well have been in that crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I reject your authority, Jesus. I reject you. I don't want to follow you. That's, that's been me. But Jesus releases the insurrectionist and the murderer, and he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross for you. And you stand in the place of Barabbas. As someone who's been released. Released for what? Released to obey. Released for mission. Jesus desires obedience from us. I'm really glad that you have come to faith and that you have given your, your life to Jesus in some way, whether you walk denial or you, whatever it is that you did to, to say, okay, I'm, I'm in, that's great. Now the Christian life begins. Now the proving ground begins. It doesn't save you. It proves your faith. I'm inviting you to engage with Jesus this morning. Can we go to the Lord's table here? As the ushers come forward, I invite you to hop up and come grab communion here and we'll partake together. notice that Jesus doesn't say a word in this passage that we taught on today. He's like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and he was led to the slaughter for you. So can I, can I invite you to bow your heads with me and I want you to consider for just a moment where you are personally. Do you find yourself securely in the place knowing that you were Barabbas uh, an insurrectionist and a murderer against God and he has saved you. He has taken your place on that cross. Praise Jesus for that. Praise him. Praise him that that's what he's done right now. Do you find yourself as someone who's, who's just been this kind of passive aggressive consumer who's just kind of been here consuming here and there and not really engaged and not really not really obeying, not really, not really in community. Jesus went to the cross for that sin. Confess it to him. Are you someone who has been aggressive, aggressive? Or you've been outspoken, or maybe you left your church and you were upset about something that they said or did, and maybe you, maybe you need to go back and apologize to them. Are you somebody who's been on social media and like trash talking the church? Do you have just personal feelings that you've never even shared with anybody about whatever, about something somebody said, maybe something I said? 
Are you somebody who's, who's been aggressive in some ways? Could you take the time and just see how you could have been one of those people who is not really a disciple of Jesus because you have never submitted your life to him? And you could have been somebody who was saying, crucify him, cancel him. So I invite you right now to confess that to him. Do business with, with God right now. And then Jesus says, all is forgiven because this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me and partake of the bread. poured out my blood for your sins, for your insurrection. This is my blood. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in our church. Awaken us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.